Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Father, we come to you now just bowing at your throne, Lord, at your feet, just uh, caught up in who you are. Just so desperate, Lord, to hear from you, so desperate to, to know more about what you've called us to do. We're just, just crying out right now as, as one body, Lord, as the body of Christ, to hear from you. This world isn't about what we want to do, Lord. This world isn't about our accomplishments. This world isn't about how important or famous we are. It's about you. It's about your plan to buy us back, Father. To sacrifice for us. To give up the life of your son, Jesus Christ. Because of all the mistakes that we've made. Lord, forgive us when we think that this life is anything but that. And so we come to you right now, Lord, as, as followers, as believers in Christ. We come to you right now asking you to bless us, asking you to guide us, asking you to direct us, Lord, asking you to do just miraculous things in our midst, or signs and wonders. May your glory shine out, Father, because of what you do in our midst. May your glory shine out because of the lives that we lead in obedience to you, Father. May your name be magnified in this building right now, in this community, all across our country, Lord, and all across our world. And Lord, thank you for the privilege of being just a little small part of that. May your name be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How we need to do more of that. If I asked you this morning to describe a Christian, how would you do it? And there are probably lots of things that go through our mind. And if I went through this congregation or any of our other services and asked the same question, I'd probably get a, a lot of different answers. Some of us may define Christians in, in the way that they look. Well, there's a certain look to a Christian, you know. They got their Bible with them at all times. You can just kind of tell. They're carrying around it. They've got it on their phone, right? And at lunch, they're praying through it and reading through it. Maybe that's what a Christian looks like to you. Or 20 or 30 years ago, we would say it's, it's the person that wears the suit and tie to church, right? That's the Christian. Times have changed a little bit. That's okay if we still do that. Some of you say, well, they, they have a little cross lapel, right, or a little cross necklace that they wear, and that, that indicates that they're a Christian. All those things may be true, but we can't really define a Christian by the way he or she looks, can we? So we, we walk down the list a little bit. Okay, if we can't define a Christian by the way he or she looks, maybe we should define a Christian by what that person thinks about. Maybe if a person thinks about the, the holiness of the Lord, they're a believer, Maybe if a, if, if a person thinks about how uh, he or she can, can better serve the Lord, then that person's a believer. Certainly we, we would say that if a person has made a commitment to Jesus Christ and have 
repented of their sins and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and is actively growing and walking in the faith, we would certainly say that person is a Christian. But, but I just wonder if we would ever describe a Christian in the way they relate to other people. Is Christianity at all affected by community? Is community important? Is community not important? Can we kind of fly solo as a believer? Can we kind of do our own thing when we want to do it? Or do we need to surround ourselves with other like-minded believers, with other Christians, with other people that can love us and mold us and shape us and keep us accountable oftentimes? The text we're going to study this morning is going to talk about the importance of community in the first century church and among early believers. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Community of believers. And let me give you a little bit of background of the book of Acts. At this point in redemptive history, if you were to read through the Gospels and you would arrive at Acts chapter 2, you would understand that Jesus has kind of already done his ministry on this earth. He's walked and he's talked and he's healed and he's done just incredible things to display the glory of the Lord everywhere he went. So Jesus at this point has been arrested, he's been crucified, he's risen from the grave three days later. And then he's, at this point in Acts chapter 2, just ascended into heaven. And so what he leaves on the earth, if you were to study the first part of the book of Acts, is a small group of fledgling believers who initially are scared to death. (laughs) What in the world are we going to do now? Our leader who did all these incredible things is gone. And here we are alone. Now, Acts chapter 2, we see Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls upon these people. The middle portion of Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Peter stands up and gives this incredibly powerful sermon. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ. There's this revival that breaks out in Acts chapter 2. And so now you've got these pockets of believers in various areas around Asia Minor. And you've got all these people that are following Jesus Christ and they begin to form churches. And so at the end of Acts chapter 2, we begin to get a picture of the newly formed church. Now I want to caution you because it's very easy for us to take a look at Acts chapter 2 and say, you know what, this is exactly what our church ought to look like. This is exactly what every church ought to look like. I just want to caution you here. This is a description of the early church. It doesn't mean we do all the things they did, although I would argue that their model is pretty good. And so I want to spend some time this morning taking a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, a picture of the early church. And I think you're going to see as we delve into this just a little bit, the importance of community to these believers. So Acts chapter 2, I think we have it on the screen for you as well, beginning in verse 42. They, speaking of the believers, these are the Christians in this early church, they devoted themselves, and if you're taking notes, you ought to underline the word devoted. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. And had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And by the way, what an incredible way to live your life. 
I'm going to sell my possessions and I'm going to give to those people that are in need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there's a lot we could talk about in this text of Scripture. In fact, when you read through this and you begin to study through it, you could preach a lot of sermons just on these first few verses. You could preach a a lot of Sunday school lessons or a lot of small group studies based on these few verses because it's so rich with who these people were. It's so rich with their desire to follow Christ in all things. But I think there's some underlying principles that we need to understand There's some things that help the early century church grow and reach people. And there are things that will help us in our current context to grow and reach people as well. So here's the first overriding principle of the early church. Number one, among these believers there was a sense of togetherness and community. There was a sense among these believers of togetherness and community. Now, if you take this passage of Scripture as a whole, you begin to see words like fellowship in verse 42. You see words like the breaking of bread. You see phrases like believers were together. You see other phrases like they had everything in common. You see down in verse 46 that they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. There's this sense all through this passage of Scripture, that community was foundational. Now you say, that's that's a great model, but it's a little bit different than how we live today because we've kind of moved into this place in our world, at least, that we want to be individualistic, don't we? Now there's nothing wrong with being an individual. There's nothing wrong with individual freedoms and individual rights, and those things are important to us, and those are things that we kind of hold dear. But the problem is that we've taken this idea of being an individual and kind of doing what we want to do when we want to do it, and we've moved it into the realm of faith. And we say silly things like this. I can be a Christian and not be part of a church. Or I can be a Christian and I don't really need to be around other believers. Or I can go into my prayer closet, I can spend time in prayer, and I can spend time on studying my own, and I don't really have to worry about getting around other people. Here's the problem with that. It's not at all biblical. Now, we certainly can make the argument that salvation is through Christ alone, of course. We would all agree with that. We would also make the argument that salvation is a very individual thing between you and the Lord. It's personal. It's it's an intimate decision that you make between you and the Lord. There's nobody that would argue that. But the problem is when we begin to say that we can be believers or we can be Christians outside of the realm of community, it's not what the Scripture teaches. So we live in a world that says, you know what, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. It's none of your business. Don't don't tell me what to do. We live in a world that says, I'm going to make the decision that's right for me regardless of what it means to anybody else. We live in a world that says it's really about me and nobody else. But here's the problem with kind of this Lone Ranger mindset. When we separate ourselves from a community of believers, we begin to drift. 
And when we begin to drift slowly but surely, if we're not surrounded by people of like faith, people that love us and care about us, there's nobody to kind of nudge us back into place, is there? There's a very interesting book written by Eberhard Arnold. He's got a very interesting name. And the title of this book is Christians in Their Own Words. And what this man has done is gone back and researched the early centuries. And he's found all these letters and he's compiled all the writings of early century bishops and Roman authorities and government officials and these Christians that wrote letters to each other. And he's assembled them in this book, The Early Christians in Their Own Words. And here's a quote from this book. The early Christians challenge us to see discipleship as a path away from self toward a wholly transformed social order. To them, it demanded solidarity in which men and women of all backgrounds, creeds, and cultures would join hands in rejecting the spirit of the age and giving their lives instead to a new diametrically opposed cause, the rulership of Christ on earth. See, he understood that in the early church, community was foundational. He understood that in the early church, believers assembled together in fellowship, and they loved one another, and they broke bread together, and they spent time worshiping and studying and helping all those that were in need. That's one of the reasons I think Mission LaGrange was, was so great for our church. If, if you were part of that, again, thank you. I know some, so many of you volunteered for various aspects of ministry all around the city, whether it was backyard Bible clubs or, or laundromat ministry or, or construction work, going to nursing homes, and all sorts of ministries took place that week. But I, I loved that week not only because it was important for our community and we did things to help people in need. I loved it because it was the body of Christ coming together to reach our community for Jesus. That's exactly what we're called to do. That's exactly who we're called to be. We get into this mindset sometimes of, of just kind of keeping things in our own little bubble, in our own little world. And we sometimes par that down all the way to our own little lives. And we're, we're very individualistic and we kind of close everybody out and we keep everybody on the outside. But the, the writers of Scripture and Luke here in the book of Acts explains to us, we need to recognize the need for people around us. We need to recognize the need of surrounding ourselves with other believers in community so they can love us and they can help us and they can share with us and we can grow together. But here's the problem. Living life together in community can be messy, right? It's not very easy. Sometimes I, I, I sit in my office and I'm, I'm just praying through things or thinking through things and I... I, I Realize to myself that the situation I'm dealing with at that very moment, nobody in seminary taught me how to deal with that. <laughs> you, you, you sit in the room with people and they begin to pour out their hearts to you and you realize that the, the, the situation they're in is difficult and it's tough. And sometimes it doesn't seem like there's an easy answer. And as you get to know people and you get to love people, you understand that life can be hard. And life can be challenging and life can throw all sorts of difficulties at us. We, we understand that. But it's not scripturally correct for us to say, life's going to throw all those things at me and I'm going to deal with them on my own. See, here's the difficult thing with living in community. When we let somebody into our life, it means we've got to care for them, doesn't it? It means we've got to love them. It means they're going to have a voice now of truth speaking into our hearts and they're going to see our blemishes and they're going to see our shortcomings and they're going to see our mistakes. 
John Ortberg, who's a pastor, wrote a book, and he basically said in the book, everybody's normal till you get to know them. And that's true, isn't it? It's easy to show up at church and put on the facade and to feel good and to tell everybody you're happy. But when you let people into that bubble, sometimes it's messy, isn't it? Sometimes it's not pretty. And sometimes we have to expose ourselves to others in a way that makes us very uncomfortable, things that we don't normally think about and things that we don't normally want to deal with. But when we live in community, when we live among other believers, when we allow people, now watch this, when we allow people to hold us accountable for our actions, it keeps us in line with who Christ is. It forces us to think through exactly what Jesus has called us to be. J.I. Packer, a well-known pastor and theologian, said this, The fellowship of sharing with one another, what we have received from the Lord is a spiritual necessity. For God has not made us self-sufficient. We are not made so we can keep going on our own. You need to be involved on some level with a group of people that will love you and help you and hold you accountable. Now, let's continue through this. Community was important to these people. Fellowship was important to these people. Let's look at this passage of Scripture again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, let's stop there for a second because there's another truth that we need to pull out. Maybe this is the most difficult one we're going to study this morning. These people in the life that they lived, number two, had a clear devotion to God and to each other. They were devoted to the things of the Lord. Now the scripture gives us kind of four areas here in which they were devoted. And you could kind of walk through these individually. And as I told you kind of at the beginning, there, there are so many things we could talk about. Each one of these could be a sermon or a sermon series or a Sunday school lesson. But look there in verse 42 again. They devoted themselves, number one, to the apostles' teaching. Number two, to fellowship. Number three, to the breaking of bread. And number four, to prayer. And it's interesting because as you study through those individually, you recognize that they're all a little bit different. They're all different than the others. In other words, the apostles' teaching is not the same as prayer. Prayer is not the same as breaking of bread. Breaking of bread is not the same as the fellowship in the home. It's different. And so what we see is this kind of well-rounded picture of a group of people that were devoted to doing the things of the Lord. How many of us at times have said, you know, I'm going to devote myself to prayer, but I'm not really interested in study. Or I'm going to devote myself to service, but I'm not real interested in prayer. Or I can spend time studying the Word, but I'm not going to serve. And we kind of we pick and choose. I, I want to do this, but I don't want to do that. I don't feel comfortable doing it this way, so instead I'm going to do it this way. What we see in this picture of this early church is these people understood the importance of doing all these things. Not only did they understand the importance of doing all these things, but the Bible says they were devoted to it. They spent great amounts of time in prayer. They spent great amounts of time in fellowship. They spent great amounts of time in breaking bread together. And you say, okay, great. What, what, did, that, what did that really look like, though? Logistically, how did, that, how did that play out? Well, there are kind of two groups listed. If you look again at verse 46, I want you to look at it with me. Pull that back up if you would, please, Wanda. Verse 46, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. There's one sense. There's kind of one group of 
areas that they would meet or one area they would meet. And then they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And we, we get this sense of there's this large group setting in the temple and there's a smaller, more intimate setting in the home. It's kind of the model that we use today, right? We, we show up on Sunday morning and we fellowship together and we worship together as one body of Christ. But then when we finish this or... For the other services, sometimes they do it before we break into smaller groups. We break into what we call Sunday school classes, small groups, Bible fellowship, whatever you want to call them. It's the idea that we go from the large group gathering to the small setting where we can spend time studying the Word of God. Now, let me just say something to you. Some of you are going to get mad at me. So go ahead and prepare your hearts for this, right? If you're showing up to worship... And you're not involved in a small group, I think you're missing one of God's great blessings. If you just come in here and you haven't plugged into a smaller group of people, you need to do that. You say, well, I'm just not comfortable around. That's kind of the point. It's not always comfortable. Change and growth rarely is. I bet when you go to the gym, you don't say, you know, I'm just not comfortable lifting these weights. It makes my muscles sore and they hurt. And you do that and you challenge yourself and you put yourself through pain. Why? Because it's good for your growth, right? Same thing with church. Sometimes things aren't always easy. Growth in Christ isn't always simple. And if you're in a group of people where everything's going hunky-dory, I'd, I'd love to meet the group, but usually that's not the case. Somebody's got an issue, somebody's dealing with something, somebody's going through a problem. But guess what? When you surround yourself with people that love you, when you surround yourself with people that care about you, when you surround yourself with people that are devoted to the things of the Lord, then you grow. You develop. You change. You're molded more and more into the image of Christ. Donald Whitney who's written a number of books on spiritual disciplines. And if you've never heard or thought about spiritual disciplines, you ought to spend some time reading about prayer, Bible study, fasting, solitude, all the things that we think about part of our growth. He's written books about these. And one of the books is he writes about the importance of community and fellowship. He makes this comment. Fellowship should always grow in the soil of a small group Bible study. Right? We should be involved in a smaller group of people that are devoted in their walk with Christ. I looked up the word devotion. You can define devotion like this. Devotion is love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. We need to be devoted to the things of the Lord and to one another. Now here's what some of you are already saying. I get that. Yeah. Amen. Some of you may have said amen. That's right. Absolutely. But here's the way you live your life. I say I'm going to be devoted to those things, but Adam, I just want to be very honest with you. I just don't really have time to, to do the things I want to do. I'm just too busy. If you knew my schedule, and if you knew my workload, if you knew I had all the stuff I had to do and the meetings and the proposals and all the, all the stuff I got to fulfill, all the obligations I got, if you knew all the prep work I had to do at home, and not, if you knew all the stuff I had to do, you would understand, Adam. I, I just don't have time to serve in that ministry. I just don't have time to go out into the community and, and serve others and help people in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to do an additional Bible study. I, you know, I, I don't have time to pray. I don't, I don't have time to, and you can kind of fill in the blank. We've all done it, right? But here's the truth. Let's just be very honest with each other right now. Let's just be gut-level honest. 
you find time to do the things you want to do, don't you? You always have and you always will. So, for example, you've never heard anybody say something like this. You know, I just never have time to eat. I never eat. It's been, I mean, it's been weeks since I've had anything to eat. You know why nobody says that? Because eating is important. And so what do they do? They make time to eat. You don't hear anybody say something like this. You know, I I just don't have time in the morning. I'm crunched, so I, I really don't have time to get ready. So I just get out of bed and run to work as is. That's how I go to work. I don't shower, comb, makeup, ironing, clothing. It's not important to me. I just show up at work. You don't do that. You know why? Because getting ready is important to you, so you make time to do it. You get up early so you can get ready for work or for school. You don't hear anybody say something like this. Well, you know, I know my boss gave me this real important project to do, and he's counting on me, and it's uh, promotions involved, but I just don't have time to do it. I'm going to have to tell him I just can't do the work he's told me to do. If you told him that, you'd be looking for work elsewhere. Then you have a lot of time on your hands after that, wouldn't you? We do the things that are important to us. We're devoted to things that we want to be devoted to. So maybe you're devoted to hunting. Get ready, here it comes, ready? So you get up at four in the morning in the middle of winter when it's pitch black on a Saturday and go sit in a deer stand for 16 hours, right? And you don't move a muscle, right? You're just waiting. Whether you see anything or shoot anything or not, next Saturday you're going again. Why? Because you're devoted to hunting. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to go do that, by all means, but don't do that and then in the very next breath tell somebody you don't have time to be devoted to things of the Lord. At least be honest and say, I don't want to be devoted to the things of the Lord. At least be honest. Or maybe you're devoted, ladies, to shopping. Maybe you'll get up early on a Saturday morning. It's funny, in the early service, all the, the husbands were looking at their wives just like this when I said that. Yes, yes. Maybe you're devoted to shopping, so you get up early in the morning, you drive all the way to Atlanta, you walk into a mall filled with thousands of people, you'll walk that pavement or those tiles for 10 hours and come home with one pair of pants. Right? It happens. And men are like, well, that's good, honey. I'm excited for you, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But don't say, I don't have time to do the things of the Lord. Just be honest. I don't want to devote myself to that. I would rather spend my time doing other things. Maybe, maybe you're devoted to college football, right? We're coming right up on that. Yeah, that got your attention, didn't it? Yeah, I wasn't talking to you until right now. Now you're, now you're listening. I've often wondered, and by the way, I'm, I'm talking to myself here because I love college football. But I often wonder, even within the local church, if we could add up all the money we spend on tickets, tailgate food, paraphernalia, travel expenses, if we could add all that up in the fall, all the money we spend on college football, I wonder what that number would look like. Again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And if you have tickets to games you want to give to me for free, I'll be happy to take them from you. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But what I'm saying to you is this. Let's at least be honest about our devotion. Don't spend all that time and money on college football games and say, I just don't have time to do this ministry. At least be honest with yourself. Lord, I'm not really willing to do that for you. I'm more devoted to these things than I am to you. 
Because I think if you at least will get to that point of being honest with yourself and being honest with others and being honest with the Lord, maybe he'll, he'll begin to convict you. It's not really about time. It's about devotion. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is are we devoted to the things of the Lord? And we need to finish up this morning. You say, great, so there's, there's community. We should be part of community in a small group and fellowship. And we should, we should allow people to kind of speak truth into our lives and kind of, kind of keep us on course and kind of walk towards the things of Christ. And, and we need to be devoted to the things of the Lord. We need, we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to set aside all these other things in favor of doing the work of the Lord. You say, great, all those are good, but where's that going to lead? What's that going to do? If we were all to do those things, what would happen? And let me point to two verses for you, and we're going to finish up this morning. Verse 43. Pull that up if you would, please, Kevin. I'm sorry, Wanda. Kevin's in the next service. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And now verse 47. They continued praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If we'll live in community and fellowship and devotion to the Lord and to those around us, the third thing we'll see is that amazing things will happen. Amazing things will happen. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a firm believer in all that's happening right now at this church. I mean, I step back most nights and I kind of look in the mirror and I ask the Lord, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing in the hearts of our people? What are you doing in my heart? What's, what's going on in this place? I just, I just see the, the movement of the Spirit and I see just incredible change in the lives of our people and I see a, a desire to go and a desire to share and a desire to give and to be more and to do more. And I, I think honestly about these sorts of scriptures and I see amazing things are happening. God's doing a great work in this place, but we got to keep going, don't we? We got to keep marching ahead. We got to keep pushing that envelope. We, we got to continue to fellowship together and grow in our faith and allow people to speak truth in their hearts. We, we got to continue to devote ourselves to the things of the Lord. We got to continue to seek Him and to pray and to study and to, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to invade our hearts and our lives and our minds because I believe with all my heart if we'll continue to do these things, if we'll continue to walk down this path, more amazing things will happen. And greater signs and wonders will occur. And more people will be changed. And more people will be saved. And we will see God's glory in ways we've never seen it before. All he wants you to do is follow him. All he wants you to do is live your life to bring him honor, to bring him glory. Devote yourself to him. Fellowship in a community of believers. And allow the Lord to do great things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the challenge, Lord, of the book of Acts as we see other believers at other times doing miraculous things, Lord. And we know, we know, Father, the spirit hasn't changed. You haven't changed. You're the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So all the things that you accomplished in the first century, you can still accomplish now. All you need is our obedience. That's it. We just need to trust you, Lord. 
We need to trust that your model is correct. We need to trust that you can do amazing things, that you can do great things, that we can see signs and wonders because of who you are working in us. So you use us, you mold us, you shape us, you challenge and convict us and shake us loose from the comfort of our lives to do mighty things for your honor and for your glory. We're going to praise you, Lord, for all you accomplish. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for a few minutes. If you want to come and pray at the altar, if you want to come talk to me about who Christ is or salvation, or you want to join the church, this is your time to respond now as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.